Capital Six Theatres is situated on the corner of Yates and Blanchard in the heart of downtown Victoria. Capital Six Theatres features luxury recliner seating. You can reserve your seat in advance and choose where you want to sit. No more waiting in lines. To reserve your seat now, visit capital6.ca. That's C-A-P-I-T-O-L 6 dot C-A. We would like to acknowledge with respect that the University of Victoria stands on the land of the Lekwungen and Wissanich people. We would like to thank the elders and chiefs of these territories for continuously allowing us to reside here, although many of us were not invited to do so. As a radio station and media outlet, CFUV was founded in colonial contexts and still continues to operate in those contexts today. Welcome to You in the Ring. I'm your host, Salma Hassan. Here at You in the Ring, we share alternative perspectives on campus life and news, and look into what doesn't get talked about enough or at all. We feature interviews with students, faculty, and other members of our community to hear what UVic has to say. UVic prides itself in being a diverse and inclusive community. As a university, we are constantly taking steps towards becoming a safer and more accepting space. In particular, there has been action put forth to create a space that allows members of the LGBTQ community to feel more at ease at UVic. Similarly, the UVSS has several organizations, including the Women's Center, the Society of Students with a Disability, the Students of Color Collective, the Native Student Union, and the Pride Collective that have all been created to try and make sure that every single student is represented on our campus. On this episode of You in the Ring, we'll discuss in more detail some of the initiatives intended to create a more inclusive space for members of the LGBTQ community. Today we're covering the history and implementation of gender-inclusive washrooms from the very beginning. We'll also chat with a UVic alumni and current UVic student about what it was like to come out at university. And finally, Special Collections Archivist at the McPherson Library, Lara Wilson, gives us an audio tour of the world's first transgender archive right here on campus. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Salma Hassan. This is You in the Ring. Stay with us. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Salma Hassan, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. In this episode, we wanted to hear about the initiatives that have been brought forth on campus to create a more inclusive space for the members of the LGBTQ community. Our first segment takes us through the process of implementing gender-neutral washrooms in the student union building here at UVic. We find out what a gender-inclusive washroom is, why they're important, and the feedback received after the installation on campus. A gender-inclusive washroom is a public toilet that individuals of any gender identity are permitted to use. Gender-neutral toilets benefit not only trans individuals, but people who exist outside of the gender binary. The driving force behind why we are going gender-inclusive is that there are a lot of issues of violence against transgendered people in washrooms and difficult for them to access or enter gendered spaces, said Ariel Singh, former UVSS Director of Finance and Operations and a member of the Gender-Inclusive Washroom Committee. They are also important to families, like parents who are a different gender of their children and people who have caregivers of a different gender. In the summer of 2012, UVic opened up its first multi-stall gender-inclusive washroom. 
Yeah, I really think that they... Okay, so the board at the time, the, the, the board of directors that did, uh, initialized this, uh, turning the male, uh, previously male and female bathrooms that were in the sub into the um, now gender neutral bathrooms, um, they, they were really keen, they were really excited. There was a whole article in the Martlet about it. There was lots of lead up. I think there was lots of discussion, um, which was part of the process, right? There was a lot of discussion going on about um, this was happening. That's the voice of Daphne Shade, advocate and former UVic student who was present when the restrooms were first opened. The only visible changes to the main concourse washrooms were the replacement sides at the entrance of each bathroom as well as a partition built around the urinals in the former men's washroom. However, the signs over each door lack traditional male and female symbols, replaced with toilets and urinals. UVic is the first campus on Vancouver Island to implement the multi-stall concept for gender-inclusive washrooms, wrote a Martlet article written at the time of the opening. The initial feedback of the restrooms were mixed. Transgender students and advocates welcomed the new facilities, and they now had spaces they could access without harassment or discrimination. To convert the main visible washrooms as a political statement at the expense of vulnerable women is selfish and inconsiderate, read a comment on the Martlet. An anonymous student voiced her opinions on a CTV interview, stating, You spend your entire life being segregated from each other, so it's just really weird. I don't think I'd want to go to the bathroom with my male friend. It'd just be weird. Some students didn't care much at all. So I think when they eventually got unveiled, it, it had been talked about so much that it was just like, a, oh, they're fine, they're they're here. I thought they were already here. The, the build-up kind of overshadowed everything. Yeah, the build-up kind of overshadowed everything, and I, and I think also that there was this kind of uh, um, almost just like apathetic response to it. It was just like you said, it was kind of just this like, oh, gender neutral bathrooms, meh. You know, um, I don't. I don't think that the the student body at the time was particularly agitated or celebratory uh, about the about the decision. They were just kind of more in the middle of the road, kind of just apathetic about the whole thing in general, right? However, at the time, it was a welcome change to transgender students. Transgender student Dylan Wilkinson said he's been asked whether he's in the right place when using segregated facilities in the past. And I'm like, yes, I know, I'm a guy, Wilkinson said. We always think that sort of thing doesn't happen here, but unfortunately, it still does. Wilkinson's experience was echoed in a 2011 study, the Vancouver Island Transgender Needs Assessment that found 62% of transgendered people surveyed said they had avoided use of public segregated washrooms out of fear of being verbally or physically harassed. Many students on campus don't identify as being either male or female. They have received harassment and discrimination for not appearing to be of the gender of the washroom that they're in, said former UVSS chair Emily Rogers. These washrooms increase safety for folks who don't conform to male or female stereotypes. Roger stated that students who had qualms with the restrooms are missing the point. 
If folks don't feel comfortable using these spaces, they have other choices, Rogers said, referring to the six other segregated facilities still in operation throughout the building. The fact is, if folks don't feel comfortable using gendered spaces, previously they didn't have a choice. If you were on the defunct phone application Yik Yak on Monday, February 15th, 2016, one may have remembered a controversy road when Daphne Shade and others placed signs on various washroom doors around campus, labeling them as gender neutral, similar to the restrooms that had been implemented in the sub. Please note that our signage was not sanctioned by the UVic or the UVSS at that time and was simply a project by Daphne, myself, and fellow activists. So, so we knocked the signs off some of the doors and put up gender neutral signs. Yeah. Oh, we didn't knock them off. It was they were glued on there. I yeah, just, you glued. I just stripped them off with a with a with like a pry uh, pry bar. But it was so interesting because we did this early in the morning. Yep. Uh, we did this early in the morning, like at like seven, I think. Yeah, and, it was uh, really early when we started. Yeah. And uh, when I remember when we were in Clearview, there was a uh, a female body janitor, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I think uh, there was a convention that just happened. Yeah. So uh, it was our it was our first bathrooms that we were doing, and it was super early. And janitors, uh, the custodians, are still there doing their work, mm-hmm. and. Um, I we just pried off the signs and we just glued on the new ones. I, I used a PL400, which is also called Liquid Nail. It's like a carpenter's uh, adhesive comes in a, in a caulking tube, and we had we had just put the new signs up, and uh, and this janitor come along and said, you know, oh, what are you guys doing? Because there was like we had to bang things off the door, and yeah. we had the big caulking guns and stuff. And, and so we basically said, oh, uh, we're having an event and we're putting up uh, some signs uh, relabeling the bathrooms as gender neutral. And I said, oh, yeah, um, you know, the university knows all about it. You can uh, contact Student Affairs if you have any questions and blah, blah, blah. And uh, and then she was like, oh, that's really cool or something to that effect. Yeah, she's like, oh, it's good that there's like more diversity yeah. around campus. And we're like, cool. And she like. And then she, she left. Yeah. Uh, she went about doing her custodial duties. <clears throat> um, we went to the library after that. We went to uh, um, uh, the computer science building. We went to McLaurin. Now at McLaurin, there was uh, an, an older man, uh, older white man, that was sitting in some of the chairs by the David Lamb Theater. I think he was or, also a janitor. <clears throat> not David Lamb Theater. That is, it's a David the David Lamb Auditorium. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think he was. A- I think he was another janitor there. Yeah, um, something. I think. He but was, I think he was like he on just break. finished, or yeah, he was on break, finished. or something. And so he's sitting in that area outside the bathrooms. And we came in, of course, and we we're like, and I was like, oh, some old man, like some old older guy. Who cares, right? Let's do this. So we stripped the bathroom signs off, and then we put up our new signs. And as we were doing so, uh, this this older man, you know, says, "Oh, are you allowed to do that?" You know, and. And he was all like, oh, this, what's this mean? Like, I can just go in there and, and piss all over the seat in the girls' bathroom. We're like, that's what you want to do. Like, Yeah, because you know. he came up, he's like, what are you doing? We're like, oh, we're setting up, oh, we're setting up, like, gender-neutral bathrooms so that people can use, like, you know, it's it's a multi-gender stalls, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so that means I could go in there and pee in the girls' bathroom and piss on the seat? Yeah. And, and, and there will be girls there with me? And we're like... Yeah. Yeah.
Shade has said the signs were put up in the hopes that UVic would take credit and see the need for them around campus, not just the sub. Shade's call would be partially answered when gender-inclusive signs came to washrooms in single-stall facilities around the campus, but some felt that that wasn't enough. In late September of 2017, the UVSS introduced another gender-inclusive washroom in the basement of the Student Union Building. What was once a women's bathroom was updated with signs and posters explaining the change, and the official bathroom sign was updated to indicate the facility was now accessible for all genders, as well as wheelchairs. The second bathroom in the basement remains designated as male. According to a notice posted by the UVSS, the decision to only change the women's bathroom was due to a lack of physical space in the men's. In order for the bathroom to become gender inclusive, a screen sectioning off the urinals would have to be installed, and the room can't accommodate both a screen and enough room for wheelchair access. According to Noor Chesib, UVSS Director of Events, the men's washroom could not be renovated without reducing the number of washrooms in the basement, which goes against university code as well. The only option the UVSS has to make both basement bathrooms gender inclusive is to do a massive overhaul renovation of both bathrooms. However, this option seemed to take too much time and money, so the decision was made to leave the men's washroom segregated. I know that some people are ticked off by it by only being one washroom and not both of them, and that's understandable, said Chasib. It's being looked into, we haven't completely given up on it, but there will be a lot of work and that still needs to be done. The UVSS will file a report with the university administration in order to begin the process of overhauling both bathrooms. I'm happy to see that we do have more gender-inclusive washrooms, said Alexandra Ages, a coordinator at the food bank and free store. That's something I personally think is really important, especially in this space. Overall, I'd like to see it become a bit more accessible and have some more clarity to it. Essentially, it's about time, said Willia Buds, a user of the upstairs gender-inclusive bathrooms. I'm really glad, though, because now I don't have to run upstairs all the time. It's definitely a step forward. I just really wish the rest of the university would follow suit. Despite the six years of mixed feedback, there is a happy story in the end here. UVic was one of the first campuses to have multi-stall gender-neutral washrooms. While the discussion may not always be positive, the discussion about restrooms is always happening, and through that we can understand each other just a bit more. It seems, almost every year, there is a new initiative on opening gender-neutral washrooms in all places around UVic. Change can be unsettling for many people, and I can definitely say that my first time in the gender-inclusive washroom was a bit jarring, for sure, since I'd always spent this part of my daily life segregated from people with genders other than my own. But times are changing, and so are our washrooms, for the better. Coming up next, we'll hear from members of the UVSS Pride Collective about what it's like to come out at university. Stay tuned. You in the Ring is supported by Capital Six Theatres. Every month, Capital Six features an independent film series, which often includes a Q&A. Head over to 805 Yates Street to buy tickets. Phone the movie hotline 778-265-7988 
To see what's playing, or visit capital6.ca. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host Salma Hassan, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. Coming out isn't exactly a one-time thing. Every single time you meet a new person, you eventually end up having to come out all over again. Even though we're located in a relatively liberal city, Victoria, BC, there's still a lot that someone has to consider and stress over when coming out. You calculate who you're talking to. Are they going to take it the right way? Should I even bring it up? What will happen to my relationship with this person if they take it badly? These struggles don't occur to people who don't have to go through them. And that's exactly why we want to talk about them. We sat down with Tony Carter, a UVic alumni and former member of the UVSS Pride Collective, to hear a little bit about their story. And we're going to be talking about coming out in university and what that means for people who have done so. Tony, how are you today? I'm doing well, Miles. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, Tony, I know you for I've known you for a few years, but why don't you tell me a bit about your background here at UVic and what you take, I guess, and where you're from, maybe. Okay. Um, I'm from Fort McMurray, Alberta, originally. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I moved here in 2012 to go to school for writing. And I just graduated with my BFA from the writing program in November. Very cool. So yeah, like, like you know, we're talking about uh, coming out. Could you kind of tell me a bit about maybe how you identify and what that means for you? Uh, I am... Uh, pansexual and genderqueer mm-hmm. and the um, former I've been really aware of and comfortable with for a while and to a lesser extent the latter but I'm still not sure what exactly that's going to mean for me long term and I'm like figuring that out on an ongoing basis okay and just for those unaware what does uh, what does being pansexual entail um, hearts not parts you're attracted to the person before you're attracted to the body they're in. Gotcha. Uh, and so when, what, what, uh, what was this kind of process or this, hmm, I don't know if process is the right word, but when did you kind of come to identify this way? Was it a gradual thing or was it kind of, If there was one particular moment uh, that felt like a coming out moment, uh, I was chatting in a message with, um, I've worked in the student union building and it was one of my coworkers. Um, and I just kind of realized and said to them, uh, I think I'm queer. And had like a moment of like talking that out and figuring it out what exactly that meant uh but leading up to that there had been a lot of like gradual slow coming out work and then after that there has still been like gradual work as i figure out exactly what that means right but that that's the one moment that in my head has always stood out as like the coming out moment because that was the first time i consciously told someone who i knew in real life As many queer individuals have probably experienced, the education and resources about LGBTQ plus folk was scarce or non-existent while Tony was growing up. Having that lack of knowledge and missing vocabulary to be able to explain how you're feeling can make you question your own identity. There was no um, 
LGBT uh, support network. Sex ed was not really sufficient on its own. Uh, there was no one to talk to about that kind of thing. Uh, so going to UVic, uh, this was maybe my second year. That was my first exposure to a lot of it other than just online. Probably like two years ago now, I was feeling very disconnected from any kind of community mm -hmm. uh, with that, with those identities. And uh, I tried reaching out to some communities that were established uh, in the city. And I didn't have a whole lot of luck. I felt like I... To them, I had to prove my queerness in order to be accepted. And that actually led to a very, like, very brief period of being entirely uncomfortable with my identity because I felt like it wasn't sufficient for these other people. Yeah. And, and since then, I have, I wouldn't say I have so much found a community for it, but I have found a lot of individuals who are very welcoming and that has definitely helped. And I've, I've found sources for that validation. And here's the advice that Tony gives to fellow students who might be struggling with their own journey and finding their identity and deciding whether they should come out. I feel like you, you just have to be honest and uh, find people who you trust and sur surround yourself with those people and just be honest with them as well. Following our alumni Tony, we had Dana Neely speak about her experience coming out at university. And she talked about what it was like to find her own identity after years of not feeling completely sure in herself. It was my second year of university. And uh, I think the reason it took me up to that point was I hadn't really known many other people who were identifying as bisexual. Um, there wasn't a lot of talk about that in my high school. Uh, and when I got to university, I met some other people who were identifying somewhere along the spectrum between gay and straight. Um, and that was really where I felt that I was um, so able to be in an environment where that kind of thing was able to talk about and able to meet some people was really crucial for my, my coming out experience. Finally, Dana leaves us with her advice to students who may also be in a similar situation to hers. Just talk to people. You can go to a, um, a pride meeting. You can... Um, go to any of the places on campus that are sort of um, safe space places or that um, people tend to hang out, come to um, the mental health club. We, we have lots of, of queer representation there. Um, I'm kind of blabbling on at this point, but it, it's hard to say. Like, I find it hard to give advice um, because it's, everyone's so different. Um, but just realize that this is a, this is a time of of experimenting and you don't have to think of that negatively you can think of that as okay i can choose to do this and that doesn't have to define me everyone has their own coming out journey and whether or not that journey happens at university it's still great to hear about all the support and the sense of community that has been built here on campus thank you so much to tony and dana for sharing what is a very personal story and paving a path for other queer students Next up, we've got a very exciting segment where we chat with Lara Wilson about the world's very first transgender archive located right here at the UVic campus. Stay tuned. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Salma Hassan, and you're tuned in to You in the Ring. 
In 2007, the University of Victoria Libraries began collecting documents, publications, and memorabilia of persons and organizations associated with activism by and for transgender, non-binary, and two-spirit people. After growing the collection for years, the Special Collections and Archives Department now has a large physical transgender archive. This collection speaks volumes for members of the LGBTQ community, but many people may not know exactly what this collection is, why it's been created, and what it means to members of the community. Lara Wilson spoke to us about what this archive is all about. So what's your name and your title and what you do here? My name is Lara Wilson and I am the Director of Special Collections and the University Archivist. And what kind of things do you do? Okay. I, um, I have these two roles, which are um, detailed in my title. So what I do is oversee special collections and university archives. So we acquire rare and unique material. So we acquire uh, printed material, like rare books and uh, periodicals in a variety of subjects. We also acquire the documents from the history of the university and its predecessors, which were Victoria College and uh, the Provincial Normal School, faculty papers, and then what we call private records, which are documents created by people and organizations in a variety of different fields. Um, So uh, arts and culture, gender studies, military history, and many other areas. Mm. Um, Okay, so tell me a bit about, so the Transgender Archives and how it came to be. Okay, so uh, Dr. Aaron DeVore, who in in the late 2000s was the Dean of Graduate Studies, was approached by um, a person named Ricky Swin, who ran a, uh, a private institute in Chicago for gender studies research. So that, in the late 2000s, we were asked if we'd be interested in Ricky's own collections because she was closing her institute. And so Dr. DeVore uh, approached the libraries and asked if we'd be interested in acquiring this material. Mm -hmm. So that started in, like I say, around 2007. And then we started to add more material um, through uh, Dr. DeVore's connections um, in uh, the gender studies activist and research community. And so to that was added the records of uh, a transgender activist and philanthropist named Reed Erickson. So these are many, many dozens of boxes of archival material and rare print material as well. So these are kind of physical archives, These right? are physical archives. Mm-hmm. So they take up Um, many meters of shelf space Mm -hmm. and these are again they're in what we would call bankers boxes many of them or the publications are also cataloged and um, they're found uh, through the library catalog and they're they're stored down here in special collections and university archives which means that folks can use them here but they can't check them out So let's talk a little bit about this particular archive. So okay. can you define transgender? Okay, so uh, <laughs> I've lear- also learned a lot about transgender. Mm-hmm. So um, the use of that term um, from 
what I've read in my many discussions and also involvement in the different conferences that we've done, the idea is that um, a transgender person does not fit into the construct of the binary construct or male of male or female. Um, some of the material here that we have in the archives comes from an early activist named Virginia Prince, and Virginia Prince used to say that uh, sex was between your legs and gender was between your ears. So the material, from what I under, I've come to understand, um, transgender is a term that can be used. Some people prefer to use different terms, but uh, to cover a range of gender identities that don't fit into uh, neatly into a binary classification. And how does that translate into... I guess the next step, archive. So mm -hmm. what is like what does archive mean in okay. this context? Okay. So strictly speaking, archives are records and that is records in the sense of documents and documents can be photographs, they can be films, they can be audio recordings created or received and set aside that is preserved by a person or an organization over their lifetime. So that's a very strict I come from a background. I have a degree mm -hmm. in archival studies, and so that's what one of the term. That's one of the definitions for archives. Um, here, uh, we use archives very broadly for the transgender archives. Uh, broadly, in that this is a, a collection of materials. Um, some of it is rare print materials, like I said. So rare publications, there's a, an example here. This is a newsletter that's sitting on my desk called Insight, um, and that it was produced by a, an organization of, of doctors and other interested individuals who were interested in, in promoting understanding about what was then called, um, what was called uh, transsexualism. Mm -hmm. um, this was back in the... I think that the 1980s, I should have a date on there. Or the early 90s. Okay, no, okay, 1991, 92. Mm -hmm. um, but um, we have a publication called um, Transgender Archives Foundation for the Future. And in my introduction there, um, we talk about broad terms. Archives can be considered a place as well mm -hmm. um, that many people might sort of used archives broadly just sort of meaning old things, mm -hmm. um, old documents, old mementos and so forth. So um, our approach to acquiring material is in that we take a, a broad view of, of uh, items that might cast some light on the history of transgender activism and research. As important as this archive is, especially for members of the LGBTQ community, Lara shares why it's important for this collection to exist in general and explains that the archive is not a collection exclusively for a specific group of people at all. So why, so why collect these things? Why collect these things? Because items from the past um, obviously can teach us a lot about the history of um, people and social movements and so forth. So. Um, oftentimes, uh, people need access to these primary sources to investigate an idea that they might have about what the past was like. So by primary source, you mean the actual objects, the actual uh, documents? Actual um, documents or publications that were created at the time that the person is um, doing their research mm -hmm. on. So if you're interested in... Um, 
for instance, here, what I've got a book here, it's called Psychopathia Sexualis, it's from 1893. It was a book where the author was trying to figure out the notions of gender back in the in the late 19th century. So if you're studying the late 19th century and ideas about sex and gender, a good place to start is is mm-hmm. is a book that was produced at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, so who is the archive for? The archives is for anybody who wishes to access it. So mm-hmm. um, the archives and the library in general here is open to the public. So anybody can come to the archives and special collections uh, during our opening hours. You don't mm-hmm. need to be a student or a faculty member here. All you need is a, is a piece of ID mm-hmm. because the material is rare and we sort of, we do that sort of security step. So it's for members of the community, people who want to learn more about um, what an archive is and what these materials are. It's here for researchers, visiting researchers or students who have particular um, questions that they think maybe our material might cast some light on. So what kind of examples of projects have you had of people being interested in? Um, We've had uh, researchers from uh, from the UK um, looking at uh, the history of of cross-dressing and the influence on um, fashion, for instance, in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, we've had folks here uh, doing research on um, legal issues related to uh, tra- transgender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had people here researching particular individuals who are figures in the history of uh, transgender activism. Mm-hmm. We've had a class that has used the material to uh, uh, consider how biography is written, because we have some 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 biog- some autobiographies and biographies mm-hmm. here of transgender people. So um, it's really all over the map. Mm-hmm. The transgender archive has received mixed feedback from transgender folk, and Laura shared with us some of the pitfalls the community has pointed out in the collection. Have you had any feedback from transgender folk or even transgender communities about the archive? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, we have. I'm just sort of thinking about the feedback. Um, Generally, the feedback has been uh, quite positive. Um, On a couple of occasions, uh, observations has been made about the nature of the materials that we have there, here, that a lot of it at, at the moment is seems to be produced by um, white um, trans feminine groups and that exemplifies sometimes the the gaps that you do see in archives no matter what kind Mm -hmm. of archives it is there might be lack of representation from a certain group Mm -hmm. Um, so what I say is that we're still actively acquiring the archives of the 20th and you know the 21st century Um, it might be that what that reflects is who had the um, the the monetary the 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 the, um, the resources to produce something like a mm-hmm. newsletter like this or a book like this. So it may be a reflection of the socioeconomic, the relative socioeconomic mm-hmm. power a particular group of people may have. So do you um, find that you're taking any steps to try to change that? Yes, yes. Um, we're trying to include 
more examples um, when we do do outreach more examples let's say from the from the materials of from people of color also the more that we we talk about what we're doing here um, the more um, the more folks do come forward with examples of items that they would like to give us so we've acquired some material of uh, photographs from um, uh, a beautiful book uh, photographs from the cross-dressing community in Cuba for instance so it's just it's gradual and it's mm -hmm. also where do if people want to donate their materials where do they want to send them mm -hmm. and it might be they might consider UVic or they might consider a community archives in some other place mm -hmm. that perhaps is more reflective of the community itself and and the and the class and the racial background of mm -hmm. a particular community what is the wackiest um, item that you think you have? The wackiest item. Mm. I'll ponder that for a minute. Well, I, f I think I was reading that you have <laughs> from anywhere from organizations, business records, audio histories, conference programs, or pornography, or okay. medical textbooks. Yeah, like? we do. We have, um, well, I, I've mentioned it to some folks I know. We have a collection of matchbooks. <laughs> that came from um, material that we received from the from Northern Ireland from the 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 collection that was previously housed at the University of Ulster came to us from Professor Richard Eakins and he collected this material over a number of years and the matchbooks somebody must have sent them to him and they their matchbook covers, the matches are out, but I think what they are are um, uh, lounges and restaurants and, and bars that um, where there were perhaps the cross-dressing shows like mm -hmm. reviews and song and dance and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of an interesting thing as well. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Oh, let's see. Yeah, well, there's a... Um, T-shirts. We have some mm -hmm. T-shirts, and some of this stuff is on. Um, some of this material is on display uh, at the the Legacy Gallery show right now downtown. Mm -hmm. So um, it's called uh, Ninety Nine Trans History in Ninety Nine Objects. So okay, yeah, I was gonna ask about that. Yeah, yeah. So T-shirts, um, like pins, buttons, are um, on display down there. Newspaper clippings. Uh, some of the some of the rare books from the collection, uh, posters, and also uh, works of art from contemporary artists on trans themes. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's a good hi historical overview with contemporary artist work as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you hoping to keep working on and maybe even improve with your archive? Mm -hmm. I think certainly um, getting the material. Uh, digitize more extensively um, we do take uh, that d does take time because we can scan it or photograph it but we want to also uh, describe it at a level that is meaningful for people particularly in this day and age when people are using a lot of keyword searching so um, having that available online so folks don't have the barrier of having to physically come in here um, certainly continuing to build um, the, the research um, in uh, transgender-related studies here uh, on an ongoing basis. And so UVic being um, sort of 
top of mind for this kind of, of research and mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. How has like the UVic community reacted to this? Archive? Oh, it's been uh, very positive when the funding uh, came through for the chair in transgender studies. Um, we had the launch down here in the archives, and the president was here, and it was a very uh, 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 a good turnout. I think um, certainly the number of faculty members that have come into the library to use the collection is indicative of mm-hmm. strong interest and support for this area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And beyond her career, Laura Wilson's personal outlook has also been impacted by her work on this archive. And how have you kind of personally been affected by this work? Well, I've learned a lot about uh, what it means to be, to identify as a transgender person. You know, I regard myself as an ally. Um, I've been able to explain to friends and family members more about what I've learned Mm -hmm. about about these issues. Um, And so I think in a way that kind of, positive effect you you know it's 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 hard to put a a sort of an estimate on how important that is when Mm -hmm. you're helping to further understanding about um these issues so had it been an issue that you had been thinking about much before Uh, no no I hadn't I hadn't really uh so I I've learned a lot about that Mm -hmm. and um and um it's um certainly enriched our Mm -hmm the the scope of our collections here and in your in your new research what are things that have surprised you or just like Um, been noted i think certainly how far back activism goes um Mm -hmm. certainly in north america and what always strikes me with archival material in general but how passionate people are for preserving their history um and the need to feel that if they are passing on their archival collections that it's going to a safe place. Mm -hmm. And so I take that responsibility, we all do here in the archives, quite quite seriously. And do you consider this archive activism? Uh, Yes, I I do. I I believe it's primarily an archive that has preserved um, documentation relating to people that have wanted to change the thinking around binary gender identity, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And then did you want to mention a little bit more about the conference? Just like okay. a brief summary? Yeah, I will. Just let me... Uh, Just like a shout out. Okay, so the Moving Trans History Forward 2018 conference is going to be held from the 22nd to the 25th on the campus, and it's the theme is from generation to generation. And at the last conference in 2016, uh, the organizers, so Dr. DeVore and the organizing committee, we sought feedback from people who attended about whether they had ideas for who should be invited as keynotes. So we're very excited that Andrea Jenkins um, is going to be um, a keynote speaker uh, she recently became the first openly black transgender woman elected to public office in the United States, and she's serving as a Minneapolis City Council member, so she will be speaking in person, so that's quite exciting. Mm-hmm. And Kent Monkman. Kent Monkman um, is a uh, an indigenous two-spirit artist, mm-hmm. and um, Kent will be providing the keynote on Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there are a number of other panels. There's, I believe, uh, an elders panel um, on Sunday morning. So every every conference there's want to bring bring together. Um, act, the elders panel primarily focuses on um, elder activists, and so um, this year it's going to be Christine Burns, Stephen White. Uh, Mikwai, Alicia Gilbert, and Aiden Key. So that is another way that um, I think members of the community are actively a part of the programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you want to just like, can we take a little walk around? Oh, sure. The archives? Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. What are the general call numbers around a lot of your material? Okay, well, the transgender material, uh, sexuality is HQ, Mm -hmm. and then the educational material is, I believe, RC. RC. Yes. Mm -hmm. This one here, let's just have a look. The Erickson Educational uh, Guidelines, RC 560, G 45E 75, 1974. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Any other? Is this mostly documents back here? No, it's well, it's mostly books. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. uh, UVic uh, historical photographs are back okay. here as mm-hmm. well, and um, Senate and board records and just everything under the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All packed in these. Yeah. In this area. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you to Laura Wilson for sharing with us the rich history of transgender identity and activism that we are able to witness on our very own campus. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment wherever you found our podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, head over to cfuvpodcast.com or soundcloud.com forward slash cfuv. The music you heard on this episode was composed and performed by Toe. This episode was produced by myself, Maureen Chow, Max Collins, Kavin Hamond, Dante Andre Kahan, Arcade Palette, Aviva Lessard, and Miles Sawyer. This program is created by our podcasting production team. If you'd like to get involved in spoken word programming here at CFUV, you can find more information at cfuv.ca. You in the Ring could not be created without the support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Thank you so much. Signing off, I'm your host, Salma Hassan. This is You in the Ring. Thank you for listening. You in the Ring is proudly supported by Capital Six Theatres. Get out of the house and see brand new movies with surround sound and first-class luxury seating on the big screen. Experience cinema how it was meant to be seen. Capital Six the ultimate movie-going experience. Book tickets and see what's playing at capital6.ca.